Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I have to acknowledge, Lord, I sinned against you. And here's what I did. I don't need to tell him because he doesn't know. He already knows it. I need to tell him for my own benefit. Like, Lord, here's what I did. And I've gotten really good at just being honest with God. Because what do I have to lose? He already knows. So I'm like, all right, Lord, here's my list. And I don't do it in a flippant way at all because I still fear God. I'm going to go through the list, man, because I don't want the enemy manipulating me or having some sort of foothold within my life. If you've ever wronged a spouse, a friend, or a family member, then you know that the first step towards reconciliation is admitting what you did. As Pastor James teaches in today's message, the same is true in your relationship with God. When you sin, you need to tell God what you did. This isn't because He doesn't already know, but because confessing your sins and bringing them to light restores your relationship with your Heavenly Father. This prevents the devil from using that sin to get a foothold in your life. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. So Zechariah, Zechariah, just so we understand this, he's a contemporary, means he served with or at the same time as Haggai, which is the last book we just did. So there's only two chapters in Haggai, but Haggai is like the grumpy old man and Zechariah is like the cool young guy. Okay, that's the contrast there. Haggai is the guy who's going to yell at you for getting on his grass, for walking across his lawn. And Zechariah is just the guy who's like kind of the coach guy. Like he wants to teach you how not to walk on the grass, basically kind of a thing, right? Like they're two polar opposites in how they write and how they were used by God, but they served at the exact same time, essentially. And the Lord can use Haggai and he can use Zechariah. And we know Zechariah from Zechariah chapter 2 is a young man. He's a young man. So Haggai is an older man. Zechariah is a younger man. Guess what? It doesn't matter how old you are. You want to be used by him? He'll use you. So just be available. That's all it is. And Zechariah is a prophet. His name means God remembers or Yahweh remembers. He's a contemporary to Haggai. He's a young man. He was born in captivity. He was born in Babylon. He was not born in Israel, but he was born in captivity. Like I said earlier, he's the most quoted minor prophet in the New Testament. The most quoted minor prophet in the New Testament. And little interesting tidbit of information is Jesus actually mentions Zechariah in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, where he lets us know that Zechariah was murdered at the very temple he worked so hard to encourage the people to build. So how's that for an ending to your ministry? <laughs> You're used by God to like motivate all these people, encourage them to do the work for the Lord, and then they turn around and kill you in the very place where you are serving alongside together. That doesn't sound like church, does it? No. Oh, people are getting killed every day at church. Um, this was a reality for Zechariah, though. It was a sad reality for Zechariah. But this whole book is about hope. It's about hope. And it's about the fact that God is a promise-keeping God. And what he starts, he finishes. And who he wants to use, he uses. And this message right here, especially chapter one, we're going to get right into this, but I just want to lay out the historical context for us. This first like vision and this call to repentance that he's going to go through in chapter one, this happens right in between Haggai's second and third message, okay? Haggai chapter two, verses nine and 10 
in that break is when Zachariah is on the scene and he gives this vision to the people. Okay. So last little thing before we jump into verse one, in discouraging times, remember that God has a plan and he's working it out. Because what Zacharias serves, the time frame in which he serves, he was born in captivity. He's commissioned by the ruler of the then known world. He's part of a team to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but everything's in ruins. Everything is in ruins. And so they're discouraged by their circumstances and their surroundings. But God has a plan. He has a plan and he will work it out. We just got to keep showing up. You just got to keep showing up. And essentially, that's kind of the gist of Zechariah, right? So if you need a date for anything, Zechariah writes out all this stuff down for us. This is kind of beautiful. It saves you on having to do your homework on background stuff. But 520 BC is about when this is going down. Verse 1, chapter 1, New Living Translation, I'm going to read from. It says, in November, yours probably doesn't say that because you're like, wait, no, what? It's, it's cool. It's November. All right. Just go with it. The second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah and grandson of Edo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What a beautiful message, right? He's like, I was mad at your ancestors. Man, those dudes drove me nuts. And here you are, set free from captivity, and here's what you need to do. Return to me. Come back to me. I'm not a God who's going to run away from you. I'm not a God who's distant from you. I am a God who will spank you. I will discipline you, in which they had 70 years in Babylon, right? 70 years in Babylon. He issued the naughty spoon of justice onto the children of Israel, and they deserved every little bit of it. But ultimately, his offering, his invitation to them is, just come back. Just come back. Come back to me, and I'll return to you. Beautiful promise that should be underlined in your Bible. Put a little star next to that thing. Essentially, that's what James says in the New Testament as well. Just run to the Lord. The Lord's like, just come back to me and I'll return to you. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophet said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. So for hundreds of years, God sent his prophets to the people of Israel saying, stop doing what you're doing. Sometimes they say, okay. And then they turn around, just do it, right? Other times they're like, no, in fact, we're going to kill you. And they murdered a lot of the prophets who are God's messengers, they murdered a lot of these guys. And the Lord is letting this remnant know, okay, you can either learn from the past or you can repeat it. Which do you want? You want to learn from it or do you want to repeat it? It's up to you and it's up to us as well. We can look back, whether it be your life or whoever has gone before you, their lives, you can learn from their mistakes or you can make your own. And we're going to make our own, make no mistake about it. But the Lord is telling his people here, he's like, I wasn't pleased with them. Okay, so pay attention. I wasn't pleased with how they behaved. And what I want you to do is do the opposite of what you've learned and saw from your ancestors. And they all knew this. A lot of the ones who were sitting in Babylon for 70 years were not really the ones committing the crimes. If you add it up all throughout history, it it wasn't just like one day Israel started being bad. And God's like, okay, that's it. 70 years of captivity for you. It was hundreds of years of constant rebellion. And eventually, somebody's got to pay the price for that. And so in God's perfect time, Israel was deported when they were deported. 
And Zechariah, in God's perfect timing, was born in captivity, didn't ask to be there, but that's what he got, right? Daniel didn't ask to be there, but he was, that's where God placed him and God used him. And the Lord's like, pay attention to how you got here. Pay attention, not just you, but how everybody preceding you, pay attention to how you got to where you're at today and learn some lessons, right? I mean, that's, that's just it. Learn lessons like, okay, what do I need to avoid, right? And so that's what the Lord is just calling them back to repentance. And part of repentance is owning up and acknowledging like, yeah, we made mistakes. We've made mistakes. And they've been like flat out rebellious mistakes sometimes, but they've also been some innocent mistakes or sins of commission and sins of omission. But repentance is like, you have to process through this. And you have to like be aware of like, I was wrong, God was right, so now I'm going to turn away from all the stuff and just go with God. But you have to acknowledge the stuff. You have to acknowledge what you're turning away from because it's not like, well, if I don't think about it or if I don't say it, then it never really existed. It's like, no, we bring into light what was done in the dark. I find myself this whole week praying that nonstop. I was praying with a friend today earlier on. He's expressing like some issues within this. I'm like, what's done in the dark? Lord, bring it out to light. But that's part of repentance. That has to happen for repentance to take place. I have to acknowledge, Lord, I sinned against you. And here's what I did. I don't need to tell him because he doesn't know. He already knows it. I need to tell him for my own benefit. Like, Lord, here's what I did. And I've gotten really good at just being honest with God. Because what do I have to lose? He already knows. So I'm like, all right, Lord, here's my list. And I don't do it in a flippant way at all because I still fear God. I'm going to go through the list, man, because I don't want the enemy manipulating me or having some sort of foothold within my life. Lord, here's my garbage. Here's my stuff. This was wrong. I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have said that. But I'm owning it. I'm confessing it. I'm bringing it out into the light. And I want to turn away from that. And that's all God is asking his kids to do here in Zechariah. It's just like, you saw what your dads did. You saw what your forefathers did. You saw what they did. You are the ones coming out of captivity. Don't make the same mistakes. He goes on to say in verse five, where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead, but everything I said through my servants, the prophets happened to your ancestors, just as I said, as a result, they repented and said, we have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's army. He has done what he said he would do. And that's always a good place to be is like, yep, you're right, Lord. Everything you said happened and we repent. We turn away from that. Let's march into some new chapters in our lives. And for them, it's new chapters concerning Israel as a nation. What's fascinating about like when Babylon was taken over, a lot of religious people were set free to go and rebuild their temples because what the then ruler at that time, what he wanted to make sure was like, go back to your home countries, rebuild your temples, and hopefully your God will be satisfied with me. That was part of Israel being released back to their own homeland was because he wanted to be in good with God. He's like, look, I don't want to be the bad guy who got you here. I want to be seen as the good guy from your God as the one who let you go. And I'll even help you with some material along the way. Like he just wanted to like, maybe your God will remember me. It's kind of was his motivation, which is just fascinating. We even have historical documentation of that. But this is where we find ourselves with Zechariah, who's a prophet. And the first word he's given, this young man... The first word he's given to this remnant who has gone through a lot, seen a lot of their ancestors come and go, growing up in captivity, his first message to them is very similar to the message that John the Baptist had and even Jesus had. Repent. Repent. Where do we start? 
repentance. Let's start there. I don't need to repent. You probably need to repent from saying that. Like, that's an absurd thought. Like, I don't have nothing to repent of. Well, dig deeper. Um, I'm sure it's there. But the first message from this young prophet to this nation that is like surrounded by ruin is repent. All that they are seeing, what they were witnessing was the physical destruction of a temple that stood mighty and proud. And that served as a reminder for them of like, our ancestors blew it. We're surrounded by debris. Our ancestors, this is their own Ebenezer stone was the destruction of their temple. Like our forefathers blew it. So now what are you going to do about it? Well, where do we start? We start with repentance. That's where we start. Repentance. And so he throws out this message to these guys. And then three months later, or a few months later down the road, he starts getting visions. Zachariah starts getting visions. And this is like crazy stuff. We're not going to go through all of them, but I think there's a total of eight visions that he has. And it's fascinating. So three months later, as verse seven says in the New Living Translation, somewhere around February 15th, if you want to get specific, this is all based off the Jewish calendar, by the way. That's why they say February 15th. When I first saw this, it was like the 11th month, the 24th day on the 11th month is probably what yours says. And so in my head, I was like, that's Thanksgiving right? Like, oh, that's Thanksgiving. You know, of course not for them, but on the Hebrew calendar, it may have been more so around February 15th. It says, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the grandson of Edo. In a vision during the night, I saw a man sitting on a red horse that was standing among some myrtle trees in a small valley. Behind him were riders on red, brown, and white horses. I asked the angel who was talking with me, my Lord, what do these horses mean? The angel replies, I'll show you. I barely remember any dreams that I have. I know because everybody dreams, but I don't remember any of my dreams. But this is like on a line of like a dream and a nightmare, you know, in one sense, like it's pitch black, it's nighttime. And he sees what he sees is a guy on a red horse, like a red rider on a horse. Like that would probably creep me out a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Like who's that guy? Why is he all red? A man sitting on a red horse and then amongst the myrtle trees, which the myrtle trees are um, fascinating trees there in Israel. The roots kind of grow down deep. They're very uh, hardy kind of shrubs, basically. But he sees the red horse and the guy on the red horse. And then he looks out and he's like, he's got a posse with him. So you look and there's, there's a brown horse. Then there's white horses, another red horse. And, and these four horsemen essentially represent, as we'll see in a second, but there are four groups that God used to bring about the destruction of Israel. This kind of plays into Daniel. You can go through the book of Daniel and you see some of the visions he had, but you have these four horsemen and they're amongst the myrtle trees. Zechariah's like, what's going on here? What does this mean? Because evidently this isn't like a warm and welcoming scene, right? He's not like, oh, cool, horses. No, these are like, those are like bad guys. It's because they are bad guys. It's because they are. The riders standing among the myrtle trees, verse 10, then explained, they're the ones, the ones the Lord has sent out to patrol the earth. Then the other riders reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have been patrolling the earth and the whole earth is at peace. And essentially what was going on at this moment in time, historically, there was peace that was happening. Okay. Because a lot of the wars and destruction had kind of pushed pause because Babylon was overthrown. And so in this season, there was a little bit of peace and calm, not globally, probably, but within Israel, there was peace. Upon hearing this, the angel of the Lord prayed this prayer. O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now, you've been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you show mercy to them? The Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. 
So you're like, here's this angel, like, who speaks to the Lord of Heaven's army. He's like, it's been 70 years. And we know the captivity is going to last 70 years. How long until you show mercy to them? And then the Lord spoke to him kind and comforting words. And you're like, okay, what's that message? He speaks kind and comforting words. Well, we get an example of this, and it's actually going to be the key verse for the whole book. Verse 14, the angel said to me, shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. So this angel cries out to the Lord of heaven's armies and is like, how long until you show them mercy? And then the angel of, of heaven's army replies back to him. And he's like, here's this kind and compassionate thing that I need you to repeat to all the people. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion, it's passionate and strong. I care about you. I care about you. I care about the mess you're in currently. I care about what's going on in your life right now. I care from heaven. I care a lot about you. And the message that was delivered to Israel, because yes, historically and in the context, this was directly applied to those guys, but it's one of those truths that could probably be applied to your life as well. 2,000 plus years later, what would the Lord Jesus be wanting to share with you? I love you and I care about you. I love you and I care about you. What word of kindness do you have for us, Lord? And he's like, I love you. I care about you. But do you see the rubble around my life? Do you see the wreckage? God's like, I didn't cause that. I didn't cause that. I allowed that to happen. But I didn't cause that. But I tell you this, in the midst of that rubble, there's a lot of lessons to learn. And above all that stuff, I love you and I care about you. Let's rebuild from the rubble. This is like the Lord's message to his people. I like how he goes on. Verse 15. But I'm very angry with the other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people. 70 years seems like a lot angry, but it was only a little angry to God. So you're like, all right, I don't know the scale you're judging on, but I trust yours better than mine. That's for sure. But the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions, far beyond my intentions. Like, Man, that's crazy because he gave them, these foreign nations, some freedom to inflict torment onto the nation of Israel. Like he allowed that to happen. And part of that was his plan, his discipline for Israel. But man, what happens with individuals, and sometimes we don't think about this stuff, is like sometimes they like to go too far, right? I mean, that's what the Lord's like. I said, go and get my people, capture my people. And then they did that, then plus some other stuff. And God's like, well, I didn't like that. So uh, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that. And that's something that should be a comfort for us as well. Because man, sometimes the enemy will, he's trying to wreck your life and he's trying to get in and he's going to try to go above and beyond what God allows him to do within your life. And the Lord's keeping count. He's keeping count. And where he's like, no, don't worry. There'll be a price for them to pay concerning going overboard, right? Verse 16 says, therefore, concerning all this anger that God has towards these other nations. This is what the Lord says. I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Say this also, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The towns of Israel will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. Like this is his dream. Like this is a vision he's having. And he's like, there's horsemen, there's all these myrtle trees everywhere, and this angel, and then God's speaking and saying like, I love you, I care so much about you. Oh, don't worry about those other guys, I'm gonna get them. 
But as far as you're concerned, Israel, I don't need you to go get them because I have other plans for you. Your plan is to rebuild the temple. Your plan is to rebuild Jerusalem. Why? Because I want to pour out my blessing on it. Because I want to pour out my blessing on it. And essentially, that's what he's saying. And this isn't any kind of like prosperity thing. This is like God honoring the work that we put into this thing. When we show up and we give, and it doesn't matter. I don't even talk about money. I'm talking about like time, energy, effort, not necessarily so much to the church. That's a part of it. But to the Lord. And even in the small things in chapter four, Zechariah is going to mention that of like being faithful with the small things. God, man, he honors that. And I think we get into this performance mindset of like, I better do good so that it will make God happy. And God's like, I wish you would just do good so I can pour my blessing out on you. He's like, I need the temple rebuilt. I need the city rebuilt. Why? So that it can team with life again. So you can take it from ash and rubble and destruction and bring new life into it. But God's like, this will happen. This will happen. The temple will be rebuilt. Measurement will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Why? Why, God? Why all the work? Why all the energy? Why all the effort put into rebuilding what other people have messed up? So it can overflow with prosperity. So it can overflow with prosperity. This is something that I think is applicable within our own lives. I don't know what the journey has been for you in your family history and all that stuff. And you may be currently standing in the midst of like just a sea of rubble and just destruction. And you're like, well, what's the point, man? Like, what's the point? And if I put energy into this thing, it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress and and it can all just fall apart anyways. And the point is, is like, just exactly what he's saying to Israel through his prophet Zechariah is like, you build for those who are coming after you. You build for those who are showing up on the scene. You may not see the difference. You may never see the difference, but it doesn't matter because we're putting brick upon brick because we're building for the next generation and because we want to give the Lord the opportunity like, man, Lord, you want to rebuild? We want to be rebuilders. We want to be part of your construction crew. Why? Because we want to see this place overflow with prosperity. That's why. We may never even see it. But it doesn't matter because the ones who come after us will. Zechariah may not, he would see some of it because in four years they would complete the temple and they would still be working on the city, but they put in the effort because they knew God has a plan. He has a plan. And so, God, you need me to clean off bricks so that we can reuse them? Then I'm your man. I can do that. You want me to work on this wall over here? I'll work on this wall over here because it doesn't seem to matter today, but it will matter tomorrow. And when the enemy starts showing up, then man, good luck getting through that wall because I put everything I had into that wall, right? So it's like we're building because the Lord has a plan. I'm building within my family and changing culture and family history within my family because God has a plan for my family. I've stood amongst the wreckage of my own family in one sense. And it's like, okay, so then what are you going to do about it? We're going to build. We're going to build. Why? Because God's a God of recreation, man. He's a God of awe and wonder. And he's like, I'm a God of prosperity. Not like the knucklehead you see on TV sometimes, but he is a God who wants to honor and pour out blessings upon his people. We're going to see that in Malachi when we get there. So we don't shy away from this. It's like, God, I'm going to do everything I can for the sake of your kingdom and whatever prosperity means, I'll take it. I'll take it. Oh, 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 oh.
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.